Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. City Walk Church, how are we doing tonight? Did anybody catch themselves almost saying good morning to people? I know I did a few times. Yeah, it's... Thank you for being flexible. This being, we're a fairly new church. We're about uh, nine months old. And so this is our first kind of Sikh festival weekend as a church. And so, uh, we man, we had it all reserved, ready to go. And then the principal called me, or the assistant principal uh, here, Daryl, and they've been so just helpful uh, with us. And he said, hey, you guys absolutely have the building, but the parking lot's going to be really crazy on, on Sunday. And I'm like, oh, like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, they're going to have, everybody's going to be in the parking lot. So you guys may want to think about that. And I said, well, hey, in Florida, when I was in church, we did a Saturday night service. I said, hey, could we may move this thing around and do Saturday night? He's like, let's do it. Let's do Saturday night. And I knew that wouldn't work for some people that call City Walk home, but I know that works for some of you that, man, you've been wanting to visit. And so thank you for your flexibility Uh, Maybe there'll be a day that we'll have a a Saturday and a Sunday morning, but thank you for your flexibility, and because of that, tonight, we're going to eat some pizza after this and uh, just have some time together, and so uh, next week, we'll be back on at 10.30, a normal time, Uh, but thank you again for being flexible as we uh, just wanted to do what was best for for everybody, and so uh, this past week, if you were here, uh, we started this series called More Than a Hashtag. And uh, if you're kind of a younger generation, for you, hashtags are something that you probably use maybe almost every single day. If you, you post something uh, on, on some, one of your social media platforms, there's probably a good chance you're going to put a hashtag or two or maybe a lot of hashtags. If you're maybe older, and I had some people last week come up to me and say, hey, thank you. I don't, they may not have gotten anything out of the sermon, but at least they knew what a hashtag was now. And they're like, thank you for explaining that. I've always wondered why all those hashtags are at the end of post. And, and so we explained it. But, but you know this, that a hashtag is used for, for a few different things. When, when you post something on social media... One of the things that a hashtag is used for is to maybe communicate a thought. Maybe it might be a good one or a bad one, but man, you want to add like something else to your post, and so you you throw a phrase in that hashtag to kind of communicate something. Uh, Another reason that we use hashtags is, uh, and I, I was doing a little research this week, some people use hashtags just to get more followers. And so there's like, hey, here's the top 10 hashtags you can use to get more followers. And so some people, they use hashtags because, man, they're trying to build their followers. But probably in many cases, what we use them for is we use our hashtags for when we are showing support or unity for for something. 
So, so there's been a tragedy, there's a cause, there's something that, that our world is, has seen happen. And, and in order to show a little bit of support or to say that you're unified behind it, man, maybe you throw a hashtag on there. And, and in some ways, we, when we throw that hashtag on there, we kind of feel like we're doing something. Like, oh, okay, I'm helping. And maybe we are a little bit, but I think at the end of the day, we know, you know what? By me putting a hashtag and a phrase at the end of my social media post, I'm probably not making that big of a deal, and I'm not helping the cause that much. One of the, the hashtags that's right now kind of going around is, is a hashtag, Pray for California. And, and a lot of the hashtags pray for California right now specifically are, are because of the fires and because of a lot of people that are, are some facing, and I, even some, we have folks in this room that in, in the past have faced their, their entire home being burnt down. And so, man, we have this pray for California to remind us to pray for these people. But here's the question that I had. Do the people that post a hashtag pray for California are they actually praying for California? Like, like when I put the hashtag, hey, pray for California, am, am I actually thinking about the people that don't have a home today, that had a home yesterday, and am I praying for those people on a regular basis? When I put pray for California as a hashtag, am I, am I really thinking about those men and women that are on the front lines of, of fighting the different fires, and am I on a regular basis really praying for those people? Am I praying for our government, whether I agree with them or not, but the people that, that have the resources to help with some of this stuff, am I praying for them on a regular basis? Or am I just kind of letting myself off the hook by putting pray for California hashtag at the end of a post? And, and probably a lot of times we, we put things at the end, but, but here's what I, we, we kind of started this thought this past week. What if we could do more than post a hashtag? Like, what if God actually wanted the people that say they are followers of his son Jesus to do more than just post a hashtag and then they, they can kind of check the box and feel better about themselves because they did that? What if God wanted us as his church to step into darkness, to step into ugliness, and actually make a difference in some of these areas that we post stuff about all the time? And that's really what this series that we started this past week is really all about. If you were here last week, we started the series by looking at a guy by the name of James in the Bible. And if you know anything about the scriptures, maybe you didn't grow up in church or maybe you did and kind of walked away from the church. But one of the things you want to know about James that's really important is James is the half-brother of Jesus. So man, that would have been a really weird childhood to have Jesus like the bedroom next to you, uh, or maybe in the same bedroom, but, but that's James. And last week we looked at James' letter, and he was writing a letter to people that were scattered all around the known world, and he was writing to them, and here's one of the big things he said to them. He said, you know what, I know you, you, you know this stuff in your mind. I know you, you, you say you, you have faith, but when you really have faith in Jesus, it actually shows itself in how you act, how you treat people. It's, it's faith with works. And we don't, we're not saved because of our works, but a natural outpouring of a, someone who's a follower of Jesus is that they actually do stuff. 
they don't just talk about stuff. It shows in their life. And, and, and we started that, that way last week. We looked at that. And then what, what we did is we mentioned a verse that James's brother Jesus said. And this is kind of how Jesus unpacked it. Here's what Jesus said. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you know theology better than anybody else in the room. No. All right. Uh, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you go to church and put a little money in the offering on a regular basis. No. No, it says this. This is Jesus has said. All right, when I leave this thing, when I, when, I take, when I go and do my thing, when I go to heaven, here's how people are going to know that you're a follower of me. It's that you love people. They'll know what you believe on the inside by how you love people. And, and that was something that Jesus said. And one of the ways we love others and kind of walk out our faith is by showing mercy to other people. And when we talk about mercy, which is what I want to talk about tonight, when, I when we talk about mercy, here's what we're talking about. We're talking about compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. So when we talk about mercy and when we talk about kind of what that looks like lived out in our life, we're talking about this idea of compassion or forgiveness when you don't have to have compassion, when you don't have to forgive, when you have power to do something else. That's what, that's what we're going to talk about. And, and for many of us, if we're honest, we have a love-hate relationship with mercy. We have a love-hate relationship because, you know what, I'm a really, really big fan of you being merciful to me. Like, I, I need that, I want that, I think you should do that. But I'm not always a big fan when it's my turn to show mercy to somebody else. Is anybody else like that? Like, yeah, when, it's, when I've done something and I've had a stupid attack and I've done something that, that I shouldn't, man, I, I want people to be merciful with me. But man, when somebody else has a stupid attack, I think, you know what? They probably should get what they deserve. And that's what's natural. And, and so we have this love-hate relationship, and, and we even excuse it. I've actually said what I'm about to say. I've actually said this to excuse myself from showing mercy. Here's what I've said, and maybe you have too. I don't have the gift of mercy. What? Someone probably should have punched me in the face when I said that. But I, I don't have the gift. Okay, so, oh, you don't have the gift of mercy. Then don't worry about showing compassion. And somehow we've, we've come to this point in our life and in this, this church world where we think, hey, if you don't have the gift of it, then you're let off the hook. And so you know what? When my neighbor's a jerk to me, I can be a jerk back to him. When... when the homeless guy behind the restaurant is, is back there. I can pretend I don't see him because he must be lazy, a drug addict or a lazy person. And so I'm not going to look at him. And, I, and I, can, I can justify that in my heart, which is sick. Oh, oh, you've wronged me? You know what? I'm not going to forgive you. I, you deserve what you're going to get. And, and we have this, and all of us do this. And yet this whole idea of more than a hashtag is actually, man, the faith that we say we have on the inside should show itself 
in the things we do and the things we say on the outside, which includes showing mercy. And Jesus, like a lot of different subjects, he spoke to what this is all about. He spoke to this idea of mercy, compassion, and forgiveness, and really what God's heart is on it. If you have your your Bible, and it'll be up on the screen, you can turn to Matthew chapter 18. And in Matthew chapter 18, Peter, one of Jesus' guys, comes up to him. And Peter, he kind of starts this question. He kind of starts this conversation with a question. And he goes to Jesus with a legit question. And he asks him this question. And then Jesus does what he does a lot of times. And he answers the question. He teaches a lesson by telling a story. And so here's here's the question that, that Peter asked in Matthew chapter 18. It says this. Then, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? So Peter's like, hey, Jesus, got a quick question. So when people sin against me, when my brother or you know somebody does something against me, I mean, how, how much should I forgive him? And and here's what Peter was thinking. See, the rabbis of that day told you you were supposed to forgive people up to three times. So Peter, he's like, let me take this up a notch. Let me impress Jesus a little bit. And he says, well, maybe seven times? And and he was probably expecting a high five from Jesus. Man, Peter, you've been my favorite all along. But, But here's what Jesus says. He says, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 Seven times, 70 times seven, he says. He's basically what Jesus is saying is, you know what? Hey, Peter, put the scoreboard away. If you're a follower of me, you show mercy without end. Stop like trying to keep score. Because if you're a follower of me, we don't keep score. We show mercy without end. And, and Peter, as he hears this, he's probably like, ah. Man, I thought I had it. I had thought I was good. Seven times I thought I was good. And, and here's what Jesus says. All right, Peter. And there was other people around. Let me tell you a story. And here's what he says. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. So, so let, let's, let's kind of see this. So this king is saying, hey, uh, it's about that time of year. Maybe it's coming to the end of the year. I've got to finish, kind of fix my books for the year. And so I'm going to settle all the accounts that I have. And he calls this guy in here, and this guy owes the king 10,000 talents. You say, what in the world is a talent? I mean, I know what, like a talent. I can play soccer. or like, What is a talent? Well, here's what a talent was. A talent was the largest denomination of money that they even talked about. It was equivalent, one talent was equivalent to 20 years of kind of an average labor, what they would get paid in 20 years. And so this guy owes the king a lot of money. This guy owes the king about $7 billion. And so the king comes to this guy and says, hey, buddy, uh, it's time to kind of get this thing worked out. Uh, you owe me about $7 billion, and so I'd like you to pay me back. 
And basically what Jesus was doing is he was just pulling like this crazy number out of the sky to basically show, hey, this guy owed something he could never repay. The story goes on. It says this. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. You think, oh, that's kind of, kind of wrong, but this is what they did. So if, if he sold the, the wife, the kids, he, he got rid of the guy's stuff, he would recoup a little bit of the money. He would not recoup $7 billion, but he'd recoup a little bit of the money. And, and so the king was like, hey, at least we'll get something out of this. And then he says this, the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. So this guy owed a legit debt. Like he really owed this money. The king wasn't being a jerk. Like this guy deserved to pay all the money back. But the person in debt, and here's what's interesting. The person in debt, what did he ask the king for? The person in debt didn't say, hey, could you let me off the debt? He just said, hey, king, can you give me a little bit more time? Man, I just need a little more time. I got a couple jobs still out there. Let me, let me just give me a little more time and I'll pay you back. And see, what's interesting is the king did not give him what he asked for, but instead showed him mercy and forgave the debt entirely. See, we don't totally understand mercy. We definitely don't understand the mercy of God because we do the exact same thing to God. I mean, have you ever found yourself kind of coming to God and saying, hey, God, can you give me a little bit more time to clean things up? Uh, God, just give me a little. I know I got some things that, that aren't going well, and I just, I just need a little bit more time. Just give me a little bit more time to clean my life up, and then, God, then we can have a relationship. And God's saying, I don't need what you can pay me back. I don't need you to pay all that. Like, do I really need what you can give me? I want to forgive you. I want to show you mercy because I want a relationship with you. And, and here's what's so cool about this story. This king, man, he could have thrown this guy in prison. He could have ruined the rest of this guy's life, and it would have been justified. But because of this king's mercy, he said, hey, you're done, man. You're off the hook. Uh, just imagine. Imagine how the servant who owed this debt and had it canceled. Imagine how he, talk about a weight off your shoulders. Imagine the weight off this guy's shoulders. Imagine what his future, imagine going home to your wife and saying, hey, you will not believe what just happened. And here's what's really cool. From that day on, this guy that was a servant and had so much forgiven, he walked through life with gratitude and he showed grace and mercy to everyone he came in contact with. Except he didn't at all. I mean, imagine, you're, you're that guy, like, life, like, would you ever complain about anything? Like, you would walk through life, man, excited, grateful, showing mercy to people, but this guy, there was some type of a disconnect, because watch what happens in the story. It says, but when this same servant went out, so this guy's just been forgiven $7 billion of debt, 
And as he goes out from the king, it says, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. You, you read that and you're like, you, you've got to be joking. So this guy that was, that, that, that owed $7 billion and just had it forgiven, went outside and found a guy that owed him, in our money it would be about three months wages, maybe about ten dollars to $12,000. So I mean, it's not like a dollar, it's still a, a chunk of money, but compared, I mean, I'm, I'm not real good at math, but I, I look at 12000 compared to $7 billion, and that's pretty easy math to know which is bigger. And yet this guy, man, he, it wasn't like he was like, hey, man, whenever you can get it to me, well, we'll work out a plan. The dude grabs him and starts choking him. And watch how the story continues to play out. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Sound familiar? He made the exact same request to this guy that this guy had just probably minutes before made to the king. And it says in verse 30, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. So this guy that had had so much forgiven said, hey, man, I know I've been forgiven much, but man, you owe me 12 grand and you're paying for it. You're going to jail. You, uh, you deserve it. And so he put him in jail, had him put in jail. And before we kind of give in to the temptation to look down at this guy, don't we have the tendency to do the same thing? I mean, in this story, it's like 7 billion, 12,000. But, but don't we have the tendency to do the same thing? I wrote this in my, my notes. Jesus didn't tell this story because he had nothing else to say. Like, he told this story because this was an issue. He wasn't just, hey, I don't have anything to talk about, so I'll say this. No, this is an issue, and he knew this would be an issue even today. And so he tells this story because if we're honest, we want, we want others to believe the best about us. We want others to judge us based on our best day in life. We, we want other people to show us incredible mercy when we mess up. But yet when we're dealing with other people, we naturally believe the worst. We naturally judge them and build our opinion on their worst day. And when they mess up, if we're honest, in, in our heart there's something that says, hey, they need to get what they deserve. And so before we really get upset with this guy, I, I had to admit it, as I was writing and thinking about this message, when I look in the mirror a lot of days, I look a lot more like the unmerciful servant than I do the king. I look a lot more like the guy that says, yeah, you need to get yours. You, I mean, you, you did me wrong. Look a lot more like him than I do the king that showed incredible mercy. And, and here, here's what happens. Look at, look at how the story kind of plays itself out. It says in verse 31, after this guy's, man, he's had this guy thrown in prison. Needs to get his 12 grand back. Says in verse 31, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. So other people were deeply grieved by the lack of mercy that they saw in the servant. And then it goes on. 
And so they went and they reported to their master, the king, all that had taken place. Imagine going in like, king, you are not going to believe this. And it says, then, then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And this was a new debt. This was a debt because he had not shown mercy. The king had already forgiven him the seven billion. And it says in verse 35, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. See, the king that had forgiven his servant an unimaginable debt was appalled by the unwillingness of this servant to forgive a fellow servant. When we have a relationship with Jesus, when our heart is transformed, it should result in a changed life. When our heart is transformed, it should result in a life that shows the same mercy and grace that we have been shown. When our heart has been truly transformed, it should change us. We should show grace. We should show mercy. Because we have been forgiven and shown so much mercy. And maybe in your heart, and if you're honest, you would say, man, I got a, there's something in my heart that's pushing back a little bit. And here's the pushback that probably at some point in your journey of faith you probably have had as it's kind of around grace and mercy. And here's maybe the pushback that you would have in your heart that you might not be willing to say. Simply this, isn't there a limit? I mean, okay, I get it. Grace, mercy, dying on the cross, shedding your blood, forgiving people. But at the end of the day, there's got to be a limit. There's got to be a place that, you know, the mercy just stops. And here's, and this is a great question. So it's, I'm not, this is a great question. Because this is how our minds play it out. If I continue to show mercy to people, am I saying it's okay to sin? Like if I don't put a limit on my mercy, if I don't put a limit on grace, Am I actually telling that person and sending them a message that, hey, it's okay to sin? And, and here's where I want you to really lean in. And I want you to think about this next statement that I'm about to say. God's mercy is not an endorsement of our sin, but instead a pathway to freedom from it. Let me say that again. I want you to catch this. I want you to lean in because this, this is such an important, this, you, we have to catch this. God's mercy is not an endorsement of our sin, but instead a pathway to freedom from it. We see that all throughout the scriptures. Some of us in this room, if we pass the microphone around, could tell the story of our life and how grace and mercy and kindness was what brought us to a place of repentance. And it's that mercy that we're sometimes afraid to give that's actually the pathway to somebody getting free. From sin. And, and, and here's something that, that we need to remember. We don't minimize sin because God doesn't. Like we, God hates sin. 
By showing unimaginable mercy, it doesn't downplay sin. God hates sin. He hates sin because it hurts people. It kills things. He hates it. And here's how we know he hates it. Because he gave what was most precious to him to eliminate its power. He hates sin so much that he actually gave his only son to take care of the problem of sin. And so God hates sin, and so we don't minimize sin. You can be all of grace and all of mercy and still take sin seriously, and if you can't, you're not a lot like Jesus, because that's what Jesus did. We can be a church that says, hey, everyone's welcome. We will show grace and mercy to everyone without ever compromising the scriptures or downplaying sin. Because Jesus did that. And so we do not minimize sin because God doesn't, but we magnify mercy because God does. God makes a big deal. The scripture, I mean, you read all the way from Genesis to Revelations, and you see just stories of God's grace and mercy that nobody earned, nobody deserved, but yet God gave it. He showed compassion where he didn't have to show compassion. See, showing you mercy doesn't mean I agree with you. It means I agree with God. See, first I agree with God about me. I realize my own brokenness. I realize my own shortcomings. I realize that, man... Uh, in my life, man, I have tremendous struggles. And so I, I agree with God on that. But then I also agree with God on other people that, man, they need grace. They need mercy. And I never was given the title of judge of the earth. God was. And so, man, we show mercy because God does. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about what mercy really looks like in your life. Let me remind you what the definition, mercy is simply this, it's compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it's within your power to to, to show harm. So that's what mercy is. And so I want you to think about your own life as you think about what mercy really is. When did someone in your life, think back, show compassion to you when they didn't have to? Can you remember? Can you, is there a time in your life when you could say, hey man, I remember a time in my life that I was shown tremendous compassion or mercy when I didn't deserve it. You remember that time? Remember what, how you felt? Now, now I want you to think about, man, what, what's the biggest regret that you have? What's the biggest, like, man, that was the worst day ever. Like, I I screwed up terribly, man. I did something I know I shouldn't have done. I hurt people because of it. Think of that day. And on that day, you know what? Not everybody wanted to show you mercy. Neither did they didn't want to show me mercy. But there was probably a few. There was a few people along your journey that even on your worst day, even on the day that you're most ashamed about in your past, That there were some people in your life that showed you grace, mercy, compassion. And and you know how that feels. Maybe you, maybe if, if you're honest, maybe you're looking back at your life and you say, man, honestly, I can't think of people like that in my life. 
I can't think, man, I, I have made, had some bad days. I have messed up in some different areas. Man, nobody has seemed to, to be that to me. And so if that's your story, then, man, you know the importance of mercy. You know what you wish you would have felt from somebody on that dark time in your life. But think about your own life, and, and let's be really, really honest about this, because it's pretty easy to talk about mercy it's really easy to post about mercy. It's real easy to feel like I deserve mercy. But it gets a lot harder when we begin to make mercy and compassion part of the DNA in our life. And when we become more like Jesus, we, we become people that show compassion. We become people that mercy comes out of us whether we want it to or not because we're following Jesus and that's what Jesus did. And so when mercy is a big part of our lifestyle, we forgive people. We show compassion. We seek good for people whether they deserve it or not. We stop looking at situations and waiting for someone else to step in and help. We do. There's a story told, and we have a picture. A guy by the name of Kevin Carter. Kevin Carter was a guy that was a photojournalist, and several years ago, 1993, he took this picture. And this is a picture of a little girl that is on her way to an aid station. And, and Kevin, he took this picture, and, and the story, you can, you can go read about it, Google it. Kevin, it took him about 20 minutes to get this picture because he was waiting for the perfect shot. He was waiting. He wanted to see the, the, the vulture, like, let its wings out, and he wanted to get that perfect shot. But that shot never came, and so he took this picture. He took this picture, and he gave it, or didn't give it, probably sold it to the New York Times, and, and in night. And what Kevin never really expected when he took this picture was people, this picture caught people's attention and really caught their hearts. And here's what happened when, when Kevin, this picture was put into the New York Times, people started contacting the New York Times just by the thousands. And here's what they wanted to know. What happened to the girl? Like, like what, what happened here? Like, where's this little girl at? Did she survive? And they wanted to know. And Kevin, as he began to unpack the story, he said, you know what? I don't know. I waited 20 minutes to get this perfect picture. But I had heard that there was some disease and different stuff in the country. And so after I got the perfect shot, I took off. And people, as you can imagine, didn't like that. Kevin won the Pulitzer Prize in 1994 for this picture the same year that he took his own life because of the guilt he felt. Because at the end of the day, all anybody ever wanted to know, and after Kevin was kind of out of the fog of what trying to get the perfect shot, it became very real to him like, I didn't do anything. I don't know what happened to the girl. I never stepped in. I never helped her. And that's what everybody wanted to know, man. Why, why, why didn't you do anything? Why did you just take a picture? Why didn't you step in and do something? 
And what's so interesting is, in, in many cases, that's exactly what we do. We talk about things. We pray about things. But at the end of the day, what, what God wants us to do is help the little girl. Do something. Don't post something. Actually, get dirty and help somebody. And as a gathering, we're, we're called to get involved in the mess because that's what Jesus did. Jesus did not come and find the penthouse and go hang out in it. Man, if you would have been at, at, at the gatherings that Jesus had, you know who was on the front row? All the people that he shouldn't have been hanging out with because they were ruining his reputation. They were the dirty people. They were the sinful people. They were the people nobody else wanted to be around. But yet Jesus went to their houses. He spent time with them. He loved them. They leaned in because they had not experienced that. And we desperately want to be people that when we represent Jesus, we represent him, even if it means stepping into something that's going to make us sacrifice or leave us feeling a little bit uncomfortable. Because if we're representing Jesus and we're doing it well, there will be sacrifice and there will be discomfort. And maybe you're here tonight and you would be like, man, I'm not really a follower of Jesus. Or maybe you walked away from the church. Maybe there's been times in your life when you've kind of been kind of a part of faith and church and there's, you're just in a season where you've kind of walked away. And maybe for you, part of the reason that you walked away is because you saw a lot of hypocrites. And man, yes, we are. We're, all, we're, we're hypocrites. But at the end of the day, Jesus wasn't someone that just talked and didn't live it out. His followers, including me, we don't always follow him well. And so sometimes we find ourselves talking a lot more than doing. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. And so if you walked away from this thing because, man, you just didn't feel like there was any meat to it. It wasn't really, it was more of a churchy thing instead of a movement thing. Then we didn't explain it well to you. Because when Jesus left the earth, he didn't leave a church. He left a movement. He didn't leave a building. He left a gathering of people that would literally go around the world and take the message of the gospel to people and do it by loving and serving the least of these. That's what he was all about. And that's what we want to be about. As a gathering this, this month, we laid out four goals. So we've actually laid out one and we're going to lay out one each week during this series. And these goals that we are laying out are goals that are going to help us do exactly what we're talking about. Do more than just talk and actually impact our neighbors, actually impact the world. And so last week, if you were here, we laid out our, our first goal was, man, we want to pack 50 Operation Christmas Child boxes. And so, man, last week we had 50 boxes at the table. Every single one of them got taken. And, and we're going to bring them back on November 17th and we're going to pray over them and they're going to be sent literally around the world and they're going to take joy and toys and stuff but also the gospel to children we'll never meet this side of heaven. 
If you weren't here last week, you want to get involved, pick up a brochure, pick up a a box on your way out, pick up a few, bring it back November 17th because it's one of the things we're going to do. Here's our second goal. Our second goal is 50 neighbors. Like what? You got to pack 50 neighbors in a box and you, no, here's what it is. First goal, 50 boxes. Want to send them around the world. You know what? Sometimes that's easier than this next one. I can pack a box for a kid I'll never meet, pray over that thing, put my little $9 in it for the postage and send it away and feel really good about myself this Christmas. But here's our next goal. We want to have as a gathering, not each person, as a gathering, 50 neighbors into our homes between now and Christmas that we haven't had in our homes before. You like to like preach at them? Is there like a video we're supposed to show them while they're there? No, 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 no. Have them over for dinner. We don't have neighbors. Work People you work with. Somebody that's in your realm of influence that you know that, man, you haven't invited into your home yet. And, and here's our goal as a gathering is that as a gathering, we would, bef- between now and Christmas, Invite 50 new families into our home to have a meal, to have coffee, to cook out burgers, whatever it is at your house, and just to get to know them. Because when we leave space for God to work, God works. When we have people over, we don't have to have a a, a speech planned out like, okay, I'm going to go through the Romans road uh, about 10 minutes into the meal, and then we're going to transition into an invitation, sing just as I am and have everybody come forward. No, no, no. Just have conversation and watch how God begins to weave things into that conversation naturally. And then you get to have them over again. And before you know it, man, there is that opportunity to share the gospel. There is that opportunity to, hey, why don't you come with us to Christmas Eve at church? And God works. But he doesn't work when we're like, hey, um, before we go to bed tonight, let's pray for our neighbors. Okay, good. Have we talked to our neighbors yet? That might be helpful. Let, let's pray for our, you know, our lost relatives. Well, have we told our lost relatives about Jesus? I know it's been 20 years, but I think it's about time to have the conversation. And so we want to be, this is our next goal. And, and if you were here last week, here's what I said. This is an all skate. This isn't like, oh, you know, 10 people invite five neighbors each. No, no, no. In order to reach these goals, the goal I'm going to lay out next week for us, same thing. In order to reach these goals, this is something that we all have to be involved in. And man, wow, what would happen if we hit 100 boxes and 70 neighbors? That would be great. And so let's be a gathering that does more than just talk about it. And let's do something about it because that's what Jesus would want us to do. And so as we close... I want to close with, with that verse that Jesus mentioned. And I want to, I want to end with this, message, with this in our message. In John chapter 13, when Jesus was sitting down with his guys and talking about, hey, when, when this thing's over and I'm about to leave, here's what you're going to be. People are going to know that you're with me by this. He said this. By this, all people will know that you are are my disciples if you have a love for one another. If you're a teenager, people are going to know you're a follower of Jesus by how you treat other people at your school. 
at the office, people are going to know there's something different about you by how you treat the people in your office. In your neighborhood, people are going to know that there's something different about you by how you treat other people in your neighborhood. Let's be a gathering that follows Jesus' example and loves the world, sacrifices for the world. And at the end of the day, when, when we're into eternity, I promise we won't regret it. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for just the idea of mercy. And Lord, this, this idea of mercy that we've talked about tonight, it's, it's not an idea that we just have to think about and wonder what it looks like. It's an idea that we have seen played out in our lives, that we have seen played out through the pages of history, through the pages of Scripture. We've seen you show mercy and compassion. You've been such an example for us. Lord, as we look throughout history, we see people that followed you that showed mercy and compassion. Lord, you've put people into our lives. Lord, you've, you've given some people to us in maybe our worst moments that showed us compassion, that showed us mercy when they didn't have to. They were an example and a representative of you. And God, I pray that if, if we are someone who has not been merciful, if we're the person that's known in school as being a jerk, if we're the, the guy at the office that's known to be real selfish, Lord, I pray that even now we would repent and that we would follow you and follow you by loving other people and showing mercy and compassion the way you did. As we close, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. I'm not going to ask you to get up or come forward. But I just want to ask you one question, and I want you to be honest. What are you known for in your circles? Teenager, what are you known for at the lunch table? What are you known for on the football team? What are you known for in, in your group of friends? Mom, dad, what are you known for? Are you known for the love you show people, the generosity you show people? Are you known for the same things that Jesus was known for? Or are you known for always being a taker? Like every relationship you have, it's always taking and taking and taking. If you're here this, or this evening and you would just say, God, I want to be a, a, a young man, a young woman, a, a dad, a mom that's known for the same things you were known for. And that's radical, irrational love and mercy. But that's so hard. And I need God's help to do that. I want to close and I want to pray for each of you. And so if you're here tonight and you would just say, Chris, pray for me that I would be a person that's known for what Jesus was known for in my circle. Would you just slip up your hand? Just slip up your hand and say, just pray for me. Pray for me. That's what I want to be known for.
Anybody else? God, I pray. I pray for my, myself as well, God. I, my hand's raised. I pray that we would be known as people that follow you and that because of that love and serve people in ways that seem irrational at times because you're our example. Give us strength this week to love people well. In Jesus' name, amen.